0: This is a big shout-out to the healthcare workers. You, you've been incredible. This this moment called for, for an answer and a response and, a, and an action, and you provided it. We are so grateful. So grateful. So I really appreciate it. We really appreciate it. We love you. We thank you. Thank you. This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at MichaelJFox.org. Navigating Parkinson's disease can be challenging, but we're here to help. Welcome to the Michael J. Fox Foundation podcast. Tune in as we discuss what you should know today about Parkinson's research, living well with the disease, and the foundation's mission to speed a cure. Free resources like this podcast are always available at MichaelJFox.org.
1: Hi, I'm Larry Gifford. I'm the host of the podcast, When Life Gives You Parkinson's. I was diagnosed at 45 years old, and like you, I'm trying to figure out everything I need to do to be healthy, well, and safe during COVID-19's pandemic. That's why the Michael J. Fox Foundation for Parkinson's Research and I are teaming up to launch this limited series podcast. Each episode is designed to help people with Parkinson's disease and their care partners navigate their way through the COVID-19 pandemic. Joining me each episode is the Foundation's own board certified movement disorder specialist, Dr. Rachel Dolan. Hi, Rachel.
2: Hi, Larry. I'm so glad to be with you. I'm still working from my home in New York City, so apologies as usual in advance if you hear a little bit of the city life in the background. On today's podcast, we are going to focus on connection, not just to other people, but also to yourself and to the moment. This is such an important topic for all of us, especially during this time of social distancing. But it's particularly important for people with Parkinson's who may, even outside of a pandemic, feel anxious, lonely, or isolated.
1: It's interesting you talk about that, you know, that, that sort of the connection to the moment, and the mindfulness uh, falls into that category, like being here right now. And, you know, I, I like to make fun of you know, mindfulness <laughs> stuff, but really I do it. My wife always goes, why do you make fun of it? You, you're actually practicing that stuff. You're, you're doing meditation. You've got the, the care app that you're listening to every night to go to sleep. Like, <laughs> So I'm really excited to talk to Natalie Kogan, the author of Happier Now in just a few minutes. But before we get to that, let's connect on the latest of how coronavirus may be impacting Parkinson's. It's a segment that we love. It's called, here's what I'm hearing. What are you hearing? (laughs) There are reportedly, Rachel, a third of COVID-19 patients that also have neurological symptoms. Uh, I was reading in the Journal of Parkinson's Disease, which... By golly, that's great reading. Uh, Scientists were discussing correlational evidence linking the increase of Parkinson's diagnosis worldwide in the past century, in part to the Spanish flu outbreak in in 1919. If there is a PD connection, scientists believe it could contribute to the expected exponential growth of PD over the coming decades, which would compound the effects of Parkinson's disease both financially and socially in the coming years.
2: There was a lot there, wasn't there? So I like to try to break this down into two broad categories, basically what we know and what we don't yet know. Right. So what we know is what you said. Some people with COVID have neurological symptoms, and we're learning this as we go from these reports that you mentioned. And, and these range from smell loss to stroke to seizures to headache to other kind of vague neurological symptoms. The people who have these symptoms typically have a more significant or severe course of of COVID, but we need to learn more about who gets these symptoms and why they get these symptoms. So that research is ongoing. Okay. What we don't know is how and why these symptoms happen. Mm. Is it because COVID is directly affecting the nervous system and the brain, or is it a byproduct of the infection with the virus? Is it because it's causing inflammation, because other organs are shutting down or not working as well, or are there some other sort of widespread whole body problem that's affecting the brain and nervous system? We also, of course, don't yet know the long-term possible neurological effects of COVID whether this virus will contribute to an increased number of Parkinson's diagnoses or other neurological conditions, for example. The number of Parkinson's diagnoses did increase after the 1918 pandemic, but that's a link or association. In other words, a a cause and effect relationship was never established. So asking whether the infection could be And so so so-called initiating. I'm using my air quotes. Yeah, I see. I see your hands. (laughs) So, you know, could it per se, you know, set the set Parkinson's disease in motion or bring out symptoms that perhaps may not have arisen till later?
1: Maybe they were like dormant and this just sort of triggered them.
2: Exactly. Yeah, that's a perfect word, trigger. So so what we'll we'll do now which the researchers that you mentioned are doing is is research and follow people closely and and follow the numbers closely to see if if the number of Parkinson's diagnoses will increase. And and one way that we can do this and one way that we can see if people with Parkinson's are are being affected by the virus, if their symptoms are increasing right now is is through something like our Fox Insight survey. Um, on on COVID. And that's open right now on foxinsight.org where people with and without Parkinson's can tell us if if they get COVID, if their symptoms are increasing and that sort of thing so that we can gather this data in real time.
1: Whew, that's a lot. (laughs)
2: You asked the question. I know, I know.
1: I asked a complicated question, you get a complicated answer. Uh, Imagine that. Uh, I'm hearing, Rachel, that COVID-19 is increasing anxiety among some people with Parkinson's. Anecdotally, I know I feel it. Uh, My PD friends feel it. Uh, A study of people with Parkinson's in Iran found that, Of the 137 participants with PD and the 95 care partners, 25% reported extreme anxiety, while the control group, which had 442 people without PD, only 4.8% reported extreme anxiety. So that's like a 20% difference.
2: Yeah, to repeat what you said, I mean, I'm hearing and I'm feeling this as well. So anxiety is running high for many of us right now, and it's perfectly understandable why it is, right? I mean, there are so many uncertainties, so many fears about our current situation. And for many people with Parkinson's, anxiety is a symptom of their disease on a regular day without a pandemic. So then when you add everything else that we're experiencing right now on top of that, it it makes perfect sense that feelings of anxiety would increase. I think the main takeaway here is that it's really important to know that it's a possibility to take it seriously and to know that there are many treatment options to ease anxiety. So whether that's medications that your doctor can prescribe, talk therapy that you can get virtually now online support groups that you can connect with, or mindfulness strategies that you were mentioning that you make fun of (laughs) earlier at the top of this (laughs) podcast. I won't do that anymore, I promise. (laughs) Um, Or even, you know, exercising to boost your mood and get your mind off of things, limiting your news intake, if that's what's setting your anxiety in motion, um, or, you know, as I mentioned, the mindfulness strategies that we'll get into with Natalie a little bit later in the podcast. There's there's really so many things that are really individualized. It's really important to think about what sets your anxiety in motion and what strategies work for you. So
1: stay tuned, keep listening, because there's more to come.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
1: I'm hearing that dogs are now being trained to sniff out COVID-19, just like some cancers. And more recently, I know dogs are now being trained to sniff out Parkinson's disease. How cool are these dogs?
2: Well, that's exactly right. I mean, I'm biased. I love this story because I'm a dog lover. And um, stories about dogs with jobs always get me. But I I think this is super interesting work. And and it's ongoing in Parkinson's and cancer, as you mentioned. But the idea here is really that dogs can use their nose which are really powerful tools to sniff out specific compounds that are produced by our bodies in certain diseases. So the hope is that this could lead to early diagnosis or early detection of disease, possibly even before we show symptoms. So in something like COVID, where many people have the virus, but don't show symptoms, that could really make a, a huge difference. And the same thing goes for something like Parkinson's, where many people have nonspecific symptoms like smell loss or constipation for years or even decades before they show the classic movement symptoms like tremor, slowness, and stiffness, which leads us to a diagnosis. So, if, if, again, if we could sniff those out and, and diagnose much earlier on, that would be huge.
1: Yeah, that would be awesome. Uh, and and in this, uh, this trial that they're doing with, they're planning to train six dogs. And the training involves the dogs being given coronavirus patients face masks to sniff to discover if COVID-19 has a unique odor, which then can be identified by the dogs who have all those, what, 300 million olfactory receptors, uh, which are mm-hmm. you know uh, significantly more than we have, and especially me who has no sense of smell at this point.
2: That's right. I mean, it's it's so amazing. And dogs. I mean, mine just walked back in. So oh, dogs hi. are. Hello. What's your dog's name? <laughs> Raleigh. How's Raleigh doing? Um, he's he's doing well. I think he's back to napping, which is his usual posture. But um, but I mean, they're they're amazing companions. I mean, speaking of anxiety, exercise. I mean, they're they're good on so many levels. <laughs>
0: COVID-19 is testing us all in ways we never imagined. Around the globe, individuals, families, and nations are are rising to this challenge with courage and grace. I'm especially grateful for the research community's quick response to this crisis. For our part, the Foundation is making this commitment. We will flex to the researchers' needs in any way we can to keep critical neuroscience moving forward with the least possible disruption. Together, we will pull through this and be stronger than ever.
1: Our guest today is Natalie Cogan, the author of Happier Now.
2: Hi, Natalie. Hi, Rachel. We are talking to people who have Parkinson's in their life, people with Parkinson's and their care partners. How does someone who is living with a degenerative brain disease and all the associated symptoms find joy on a regular basis? You know,
0: it's such a it's such an important question. I think it's an important question for all of us um because we're all dealing with so so many challenges. Um you know, one of the I think really important things to remind ourselves is joy isn't extra. You know, it isn't something um uh, that is a luxury. Joy is really the fuel that keeps us going. And for me, um, I think one of the most powerful ways to look for joy amidst so many challenges is with gratitude. You know, um, I started learning and practicing uh, gratitude years ago. And one of the things that surprised me, and the research supports this, is that Uh, just a simple act of pausing a couple times a day um, to just simply honor some of the small good moments in our lives with our attention, with our appreciation, Um, it has really incredible effects. It seems like this very, very simple thing um, that can't make a difference, but it really does. And particularly research shows um, during times of great challenge, Practicing gratitude not only helps us find moments of joy, but it actually helps us to feel more resilient. And that is because our brain, unfortunately, has what's called the negativity bias. We're much more sensitive to anything that is wrong um, and negative than something that's positive. It's because our brain is trying to protect us from danger. So when we're going through challenges, the negativity bias gets even stronger and more sensitive. And so we have to, I've been using this expression, we have to fight even harder for those moments of joy which means we have to practice more and more in gratitude. And so that is something that I invite everyone in the community to overdo it on gratitude, um, especially in how you begin your day. One of the things um, that I cannot recommend strongly enough is to start your day with a gratitude practice. And it can be so simple. Just jot down three specific things you are appreciative of. The smaller by the way the better, the more specific the better, and begin that begin your day that way because not only will you feel those little bursts of joy at that moment. Research shows that the way we begin our day has a dramatic impact on how the day goes, and so if you begin your day with a little bit of gratitude and and the joy that you feel from practicing it, it allows you to find more of those moments of gratitude and joy as you go through the day.
1: My wife and I were talking the other night uh, about how when this is all over, we're going to go on vacation here and we're going to do this and we're going to do mm. that. Like we were trying to find joy in the future somewhere else. Uh, yes. And is that, I, I can't believe that we'd be the only ones looking that way.
0: No, Larry, that's such a wonderful point because I was actually going to say that. I love that you brought that up. Um, sometimes folks share with me that, listen, I, I just I'm really struggling, like I can't find anything I'm grateful for right now. So looking for moments of gratitude for the future is an absolutely wonderful thing to do. So, um, for example, we as human beings, we experience a lot of joy when we have something to look forward to. And I'm not trying to tell you your next vacation is not going to be amazing, but um, <laughs> it turns out we actually experience more joy planning a vacation than we have it or we're excited to go to the movie and then we go to the movie, we feel less joy. We humans, our brain loves to anticipate. So it's a wonderful way to practice gratitude amidst this crazy challenging time is to actually think of what will I be grateful for when I get to go on a vacation? What will I be grateful for when I get to hug my friend? What will I be grateful for when I can, you know, go into the movie theater again? And so that's another way to actually practice gratitude is by asking yourself this question.
1: Oh, well, I thought I was doing it wrong. I did look at the theater. I was doing it right. <laughs> You are doing it
0: right.
2: There is science. It's so funny. What you know? One of the lessons I think I'm learning is to not take things for granted. And Larry and I were chatting about mm. the things that we're really missing and travel and vacation. And Larry said he's even missing his work travel, which I, I don't know if I'm Quite yeah. there yet, but <laughs> but one of the things that I'm doing is making scrapbooks of all of my vacations, and and I'm really yeah. reminiscing and and being in those moments of, of all the travel that I had, and really thinking gosh i'm i'm not taking for granted all of that travel that i had so really you know practicing gratitude and reminiscing and being in those moments but also planning my next travel so so i am kind of having all of those moments wrapped into one and and also you know, using all of the spare time that I have <laughs> left over now with making these scrapbooks of my vacation. So it's it's really neat to do those kinds of things.
0: Oh, I think, and again, so think of everything we've just talked about. So I talked about practicing gratitude in the present, right? Every day, begin with gratitude. Uh, Larry, you talked about practicing gratitude in the future, right? So again, yeah. think of something you're really looking forward to and ask yourself, what am I grateful for about that experience? And Rachel, you're talking about practicing gratitude for things that have happened in the past and how much joy that is bringing you. And I love like, you know, and I know listeners know, we did not plan this out, but I love how organically what we've brought up for everyone is, there isn't a a formula about practicing gratitude. It's wonderful to appreciate things from the past, from the present, from the future. What really matters is that you truly pause and honor those moments with your appreciation, that you truly honor them with your attention, because otherwise we're missing on that joy because our brain is either taking them for granted or our negativity bias is an over overdrive and all we're noticing about our life are our negative things. And so this is actually, I love this conversation because there's many ways to practice. What is important is that you practice. You know, I, I have this analogy that gratitude is like broccoli, right? Like I think we all know that broccoli <laughs> is good for us, right? Like broccoli has a lot of vitamins and nutrients, but it's only good for you if you eat it. Like knowing that broccoli is good for you does not give you the nutrients. And it's the same with gratitude. You know, I find like when I, you know, give big talks, you know, uh, on state, now it's all virtual, but I, I ask people, how many people here know the science that shows that gratitude is really powerful for your well-being? Most hands go up. And then I say, how many people here practice gratitude daily? And very few hands go up. Well, it's the same thing, right? Knowing that gratitude is good for us doesn't give us the benefit. We actually have to practice. So eat your broccoli and practice your gratitude.
1: (laughs) I
2: love that. Natalie, one of the other things we really wanted to talk about is connection. And I think a lot of us are are spending a lot of time connecting with others, but the way that we're doing that now is through technology. And we're spending a lot of time on technology. So I think, or we're adding it to our to-do list. So I think it can become a little bit of another thing on our to-do list or uh-huh. another chore, <laughs> so how can we talk mm. ourselves through that and, and know the importance of connection?
0: It's a it's a beautiful question, Rachel, because you know so many um, I've been doing so many virtual sessions for companies and medical workers and teams and. Um, during the first couple of weeks of this crisis or a couple of months, I should say, kind of the question has been coming up, like, how do I stay connected? I'm feeling isolated. So we talked a lot about how, you know, you have to make it intentional. You have to make it a regular thing right on your to-do list. And the question you're bringing up now, I think it reflects just the shift right now. We know we're in this for a while. Um, and yet it, it doesn't feel good when it's routine, right. To stay in touch. So what do we do? So a couple of thoughts. One is, um, to get a little bit creative about it. And obviously, you know, everything I'm saying is within like stay safe, right? But to get a little creative about it. So I know some folks, for example, for a while we're doing like Zoom happy hour, Zoom book groups, and then like, oh, I feel really exhausted with Zoom. Don't be afraid to change, right? Don't be afraid to shift what you're doing. The other thing is um, to also recognize um, just when you're thinking of connecting, one thing that really helps me is to think about like the times I've connected with people and how it made me feel. And that for me shifts it from a to-do list item to like, oh, I'm really looking forward to this because I think it's really hard to lose track of that. So I'll tell you, so my best friend and I, um, we live like 20 minutes away from each other, but obviously we haven't seen each other in months. And so a couple of weeks ago, we started doing a Saturday like hour on Zoom. You know, we're sitting in our living rooms and just hanging out. And then this past weekend, it was time to dial in. And I had this moment, Rachel, that you just described. I had this like, Mm -hmm. like, is this just a to-do? Like, I should go do something else, whatever. And I just took a moment and I thought to last Saturday and how much fuel and light and joy I felt after our session. And that, like, encouraged me to do it. And so I think sometimes just reminding ourselves of what it feels like. And then the other thing is to not be afraid to have to take a break, right? To not be afraid to say to you, You know, your friends, like, guys, I need to skip this week's check-in or Zoom session. I just, like, need a break. Or to change the format, a lot of people have been saying they're really sick of Zoom. They're really sick of, like, video. And there's lots and lots of reasons that's true. It's actually exhausting. So make it a phone call. Go outside. The other person goes outside in their place. Make it a phone call. Or I've had um, a couple people say to me that they've started writing many more handwritten notes to their friends just because there's so much technology in our lives right now. So that's a beautiful thing. So those are just some ideas. Change it up. Give yourself permission to skip some of any of the regular things that you have going on with family or friends. It doesn't make you a horrible human being. You may just need a break. And remind yourself of how it actually makes you feel because that helps to take it from a to-do to something that I want to do.
1: It's interesting. You, you, you took it from the connection with the other person to checking in with yourself how important is that mm. connection with yourself?
0: So that is something that is essential. That, you know, I've been actually um, uh, on social media recently sharing just a lot about how, um, you know, one of my greatest learnings on my life journey has been recognizing that my relationship with myself is something that needs cultivation, attention. Um, in a way, our relationship with ourselves is, I think, the most important one. In fact, how we treat others is rooted in how we treat ourselves. And so one of the things that I'm so encouraging folks, especially during this time where it is so hard, there's so many challenges, is to um, really recognize that you have a relationship with yourself, to ask yourself, what is my relationship with myself? Am I treating myself as I would a friend? Am I cultivating a kind friendship with myself? And one of the ways to do this, one of my favorite little practices is, when well, you just mentioned it, Larry, is to start the morning. So I start most mornings. I'm not going to say every morning, but most mornings with what I call five to ten minutes of stillness and silence. It's not always meditation. In fact, I'm, I just, I'm very open about the fact that I don't meditate um, all the time or regularly. But just five to ten minutes to just sit in a spot that I like with some tea. And that's my time to check in with myself. How am I feeling? Like, how am I? You know, what I'm based on that, maybe there's something I need to shift or maybe it's just I need some encouragement for myself. And I think it is so, so important to recognize that we can and should and need to be our own friends, our own supporters always, but particularly right now.
1: My son does that automatically. He, he comes out in the morning and he'll, he'll get mm-hmm. in the chair with me. I, we don't have the TV on or anything. He'll just come out in the living room. We'll sit in a big comfy chair. and He'll just sit there with his blanket and he'll just like, he'll, he, he's hatching. But he's like, you can tell <laughs> that he's just sort of like getting in touch mm-hmm. with, with, with the day and himself. And that's kind of cool.
0: How old is he? He's 10. I think we can learn so many things from our kids we have many of these natural instincts to do the things that are important and supportive of ourselves when we're young. And then like, we unlearn them. You know what I mean? We get, we, we think we grow up and we need to focus on our work and taking care of everyone else. And we forget that we need to do these things for ourselves. So I think your son can be our inspiration. I think there's a lot that our kids can teach us.
2: Larry and I were talking earlier about anxiety and, you know, the, the heightened uncertainty all of us are feeling and Natalie I love Mm. that you shared that you know meditation is not really for you and you know Mm -mm. Larry was talking a little bit about you know some of the mindfulness things that that he's been a little bit more open to recently but what are some of the strategies that that other people may be open to exploring during this
0: time? Mindfulness is just simply about how do we do something that really helps us to be present in the present moment and to flow a little bit with it, to not fight with ourselves or reality so much, right? Mindfulness in many ways is simply about learning to witness ourselves and our reality instead of judging it or always doing things in it. And there's so many ways to do that, right? One of the things I do for one of my practices every day is I go for a walk. And for me, that's mindfulness. Sometimes I listen to nothing. Sometimes I listen to a book or music, but it's just something I do. I feel in flow. I get to not have to do so much. I kind of witness my experience. So maybe it's doing some watercolor because it just allows me to, you know, be and do something that flows. So maybe it's a little art. Maybe it's some doodling. Maybe you read a couple pages from a book that kind of feels like a hug to your heart. You know, maybe um, you p- people garden, and, like, to me, that's crazy that that feels peaceful. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, like, I'm a New Yorker. Like, I-, I don't have a green thumb on my body. But for some people, that's a wonderful activity. So, anything that helps you um, feel like you've caught up to yourself, it's about noticing. One of the great Buddhist uh, masters said that one of the greatest meditation practices is to drink tea. But he said, can you drink tea and only drink tea? So, that means not at the same time thinking about your to-do list, not at the same time scrolling your email, right? So single-tasking, just doing something and paying attention to it. Savoring something is a mindfulness practice, right? You can either eat um, an apple and not notice you've eaten an apple, or you can, like, really eat an apple and, like, be paying attention to how it tastes and smells and how you feel. It's whatever gives you that feel of, like, for me, it's a deep exhale. But there is no should,
1: well, funny story, uh, my wife had bought some pears and was chopping them up uh, before dinner as like an appetizer, and I was chewing on this pear, mm. and I'm like, son, have, have some of this pear, and he goes, dad, that's an apple. Uh, and so I don't have a sense of smell. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently my taste is not oh, so is good. Right? Uh, and I'm not even a pear fan. I don't know why I thought it was a pear, but it, uh, <laughs> for me, it was a pear. Just a, <laughs> I, I gr- love that. Yeah, I, I grew up with my mom saying everything happens for a reason. And we're ending each mm-hmm. episode by asking our guests to share a lesson that they're learning from COVID-19. Uh, So, we're wondering, what have you learned, just sort of in general, what do you hope people uh, in the world learn from this experience?
0: Oh, I love this question. That's a beautiful question. I love that. Um, So, one of the things that I have learned is that we have so much more in common as people than I think I thought we did. You know, again, my work, I'm really... It, it's a huge gift that the work I do is all about helping people, right? You know, I teach emotional health as a skill, and so this is what I've been doing now. And I've just really had the honor, I mean, it's probably, you know, tens of thousands during people during this crisis I've been able to either do something with or interact with, and what I keep learning is that we have so much more in common. Like, we can have such different lives and such different circumstances, but we have so much more in common. The questions people are asking me from all walks of life are similar. Right We want to know how to help our families get through this. We want to find a little bit more ease for ourselves. We're worried about our loved ones. we're appreciating at a time at home, and we're frustrated about it. So that's been a really powerful, beautiful lesson to me that we have we all have more in common than I think we realize. I do think the other lesson we're all learning, and this is a lesson I so hope that we don't forget when this is all over, because this will be all over. We will have a life where we're not in the sphere, where the virus is not affecting so many people or taking so many lives. And the lesson that I hope we don't forget is what really mattered during this time. Because I think the lesson we're learning is what really matters is human connection. What really matters is um, uh, having people in our lives that we care about and having people care about us. And I really, really hope that, that we remember that at the end of the day, that is more precious and more valuable than anything. That's awesome. So
2: well-spoken and and so true. Natalie Kogan, thank you so much for being with us and for sharing your thoughts and your expertise with our community.
0: I've learned things from you and I feel elevated from this chat. So thank you.
1: Natalie Kogan is the author of Happier Now, available wherever you buy books, All right, Rachel, what are the three things that you are grateful for?
2: Oh, man, I am grateful for you for this, for the chance to do this podcast. It was really, it's really fun. I'm really having uh, a good time doing it. And I think about when I think about like this podcast and the things that I, it's like really fun, the things I get to do in my, in my daily job and, and, you know, the, the information I get to share. Um, I'm grateful for my dog who's sleeping at my feet. Um, And I'm grateful for my nice apartment and the
1: shelter that I have here. Yeah. I'm grateful for my son uh, and the the morning cuddles (laughs) uh, with the wake up. Uh, I'm grateful for my wife and uh, just just enduring me through this time of working from home. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, I'm grateful for Lego. She talked about finding something that you can focus on, the watercolors or whatever, where you can just sort of get back into your, yourself and be with. I spend about a half hour a night now just building Lego by myself. Really? You know, what so, have you built? Well, so, uh, cars and planes and boats and <laughs> anything that comes to mind. Uh, a light tower. I was inspired by the <laughs> the Lego Championship that I saw on TV. And the, my my son has a playroom, so I go in there and play Lego. He plays cars. We don't even interact with each other, but we just that's how we end the day.
2: That's the kid in you.
1: That's right. I love it. <laughs> Rachel, thank you, too. Uh, I'm, I'm happier. Are you happier?
2: I'm always
1: happier when I'm hanging out with you, Larry. Oh, stop it. Now I'm blushing. Rachel Dolan, MD, is Vice President of Medical Communications for the Michael J. Fox Foundation and a board-certified movement disorder specialist neurologist. And I'm Larry Gifford. You can connect with me on social media at Parkinson's Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Email us at info at michaeljfox.org.
2: Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to check out the michaeljfox.org website for more information. Click on Understanding Parkinson's and look down the third column labeled Education and Inspiration. Under webinars, you can also find a recent webinar we did featuring Natalie Kogan.
1: Stay safe. Find a little joy every day. Keep connecting to yourself and others, and we'll get through this together.
0: Enjoy this podcast, share it with a friend, or leave a review on iTunes. It helps listeners like you find and support our mission. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation at michaeljfox.org. Thanks for listening. This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org.